you got to get Matthew off of us. He, he's down here yelling at us and, and cussing us because we're not blocking well enough. So, so I have to go down and get Matthew and say, come on, man, let's back off a little bit here. Take a deep breath. Welcome, and thank you for joining us for this edition of the Fiesta Bowl Football Focus Podcast. I'm Scott Lightman with the Fiesta Bowl, and we're treated to a conversation with College Football Hall of Fame coach Mac Brown, who led the Texas Longhorns to the 2009 Fiesta Bowl title. Mac will share his philosophies on leadership and mentorship, what it's like to be the head coach at University of Texas. We'll get into a few Matthew McGonaghy stories and why he came out of retirement for a second stint at North Carolina. Mac, thank you very much for joining us. This is going to be a special treat for us here today. Well, thank you, Scott. I, I always, uh, I love the Fiesta Bowl. The, the bowl people have always been so giving and so friendly, and they gave our group such a wonderful experience when we got out there. So anytime I can be associated with you, because you and I got to know each other well through ESPN or the Fiesta Bowl, uh, this is a great day for me. Uh, I agree. Uh, Mac, we see you smiling and having fun, and I know when I got to know you, just always an upbeat personality. Uh, we've even seen you now in your second go-around with the, with the Tar Heels dancing with your players. Um, how would you characterize your leadership style? Scott, I, I want everybody involved. We, we've always said all in. Uh, coach Royal taught me at, at Texas, the, the legendary head coach there, that we all needed to be one heartbeat. and And uh, a program's like a box of BBs, and if that BB's that box is dropped and the BBs scatter all over the room, it's not very powerful. But when you get everybody back in the box, get the BBs in the box together as one one heartbeat, then you can you can be powerful moving forward. Uh, so I always wanted us to be fair. Uh, I always wanted us to be consistent uh, because consistency is a gift that we can give people. So they know who we're going to be every day and they know what decisions we're going to make probably every day. And then I want us to always do what is the right thing to do. And if you if you always do what you know is the right thing to do, uh, you're covered in about every category. And we we really put four different factors into how we run our program. Uh, Number one is communication. Scott, you've got to learn to talk to young men. And they've got to learn to to talk back to you, and 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 a big part of communication is learning to listen. But until we know what our players are thinking, then then we really don't have a chance to to move forward. Secondly, when you get that communication, uh, you can build up trust, and and trust is when you tell your players that you're going to do something, or your administration, or your um, alums. You tell them you're going to do something, you got to do it. And, and you have to do it on a consistent basis. When you do that, then you build up respect for each other. So when you get communication and you get so you trust each other, you can gain respect for each other. And then the last part of this I, I got and put in place with our philosophy. When I went to Iraq, I was on the first line with our, our military for 10 days and, get, and gained so much respect for, for them, even more than I had, which I, I didn't think that was possible till I got over there and people are being shot at and there's torpedoes coming in the missiles coming in the um, inside the gates of, of the area where they're they're all being kept it's just uh, it's amazing that the people put their lives on the line every day so I asked General Odenero who played football at Army why did these young people stay over here 
why did they re-enlist? And he said, we have a common purpose. And that common purpose is to help the person on your right and help the person on your left. That common purpose is to help America stay safe. Uh, and, and, and that's a very powerful feeling for us. So I took that back to, to our team and our program and said, we do have a common purpose. Our common purpose is we want to have fun. We want you all to graduate. We want to win all the games. And we want you to be better prepared, whether it's branding yourself or, or learning experiences when you get out of here, even if it's after pro ball, so you can um, have a better life. So, so really, when you, you look at it, Scott, uh, be fair, be consistent, always do what you know is the right thing to do. Learn to communicate uh, across the board, build up trust, then you'll gain respect and have a common purpose. Wow, there's, there's some great messages in there. Uh, for us all in all aspects of life, really. Um, what are some of the aspects of being a major college head football coach that we as fans don't see, but really are critical to your overall success as a program? I think the biggest thing that, that fans wouldn't see is you're responsible for a lot of different people's lives without very much control. You've got 120 players on a, the average on a team. You've got their parents. You've got their grandparents. Uh, you've got the, the high school coach. You've got the, the, the booster in their community that loved that family coming up. And, and then you've got your administration. You're responsible to uh, a board of governors, a board of trustees. Uh, you're responsible to a, a chancellor. You're responsible to an athletics director. Uh, you're responsible to a... Um, legal counsel on your campus. Uh, there's a PR director on your campus. Um, and, and then you're, you're responsible for your, your coaches and your staff. And that's probably 50 to 60 people. And then you've got the, the media local and national. Uh, you, you've got all of your lettermen that, that built the place that you are. You've got your faculty, you've got your student body. So your your billionaires, your millionaires, your grassroots people, um, and, and all of your high school coaches in, in not only your state, but your, your recruiting footprint. Um, so when you start looking at that, Scott, it's um, uh, every day some of those people have issues. So um, you've got to be very organized. You've got to be able to handle crisis because you're going to have some every day. And I learned from Coach uh, Dooley a long time ago, Vince Dooley, when he quit coaching, and I, I think it was uh, the, the Gator Bowl, they were playing Michigan State, and at halftime they asked him, what would you advise young head coaches to do? And he said, take crisis and turn them into positives because you're going to have crisis every day, and you can't panic over them. Use them to make you uh, the situation and your program better. And, and I think those are things that, that people just don't understand. They see you with the kids. They see you on the sideline. They see you having fun. Um, and then at the end of all this, you need to treat everybody fair. Everybody needs to graduate. Um, you've, you've got to have the discipline for everybody. You've got to have them go to class. You've got to have them go to their tutors. Uh, but at the same time, then, none of that works unless you win because you're not around to keep it going. Football staffs now are, are a little different than they were your first time around. You have coordinators and position coaches, strength coaches, analysts, creative content uh, folks that are also in the football area specifically. Uh, what's a typical in-season game week like for a head coach? And, and 
part and parcel to that is how do you divvy up coaching duties for the head coach and your coordinator's position position coaches in terms of meetings and halftime speeches and pregame speeches and and even on the field coaching? Well, Scott, I think it's important to be able to delegate because you can't do everything well yourself. So I always try to hire people that are smarter in the area I'm hiring them than me. And, and I think that's really, really important for people. I'm, I'm not afraid of, of having successful people around me or in our program. I, I like to lean on people. I like to, like I said, the all, all in, the um, um, being transparent. I want our staff to, to know exactly what I'm thinking and saying all the time, but I want to know what they're thinking. So I'm constantly asking them, what would you do in this situation and why? And if they have no opinion, that, that's fine. I don't want you to make something up, but your idea may be better than mine. And if I get everybody's, then it gives me an opportunity to, to move forward from there. Uh, the second part of that is I want to know what they think, because if they don't think like I do, I want to make sure it works for them when we get through. So uh, a typical week for me is I'm, I'm going to watch the, the game film at night, probably two or three times after the game's over because you look at it differently. I'll watch it again on Sunday morning. I want our staff to be with their families and have a chance to go to church if, if they want to on Sunday morning. So we'll meet uh, um, Sunday afternoon. Uh, we'll, we'll have uh, time together, probably an hour, where all of the different phases watch the video together and go over what they think. They bring that report to me. We meet for an hour. We talk about an injury report. We talk about who played well and, and who didn't. We talk about any changes we would need on the, uh, the depth chart. Uh, we would go back and reevaluate what we did well in the previous game, and we would write down what uh, concerns we had that we thought we should have done better or differently uh, if we play that team again next year. Uh, and then we meet with the players. Uh, if we win the game, we show them a highlight film. If we lose the game, we, we do not show a highlight film. And and then the coaches will meet with the players as a group in their segments and then in their positions. And then we go out and practice for about an hour. And, and most of that is review of what we should have done better um, and a little bit of a game plan for the next week. But a lot of us just running to get rid of the soreness from the previous day. Monday is a, a game plan day. Um, so the, the coaches and I work on the game plan Sunday night and all day Monday. Monday's also our media day, so I'll meet with the media. Our coordinators meet with the media, and, and uh, we used to have players meet on, on Monday, but that's their day off, so they have to come now on Tuesday. And then uh, Tuesday, you, you practice Tuesday, Wednesday, and, and, and pads. Thursday is in shorts. Friday's a walkthrough, and, and you get ready for game day. Uh, but you're usually at, at work about 7 o'clock in the morning, you, you stay after and, and watch the, the, the practice normally at night. Ours is a little bit different here, Scott. We've gone to a, an early morning practice regimen. So on, on Tuesday morning, uh, we meet at 6.30 as a team. We practice from 8 to 10. Uh, we actually um, then will we'll look at the video as a staff uh, till about 1 or 2, have a staff meeting at 3 and then have meetings with the players late afternoon. Uh, and then the coaches actually go home at night. The players are free at night uh, because they've had their class and study hall in the afternoon. And I like that schedule much better than, than the coaches that are staying over there till about midnight. 
makes everyone fresher and better uh, when the time is right. It's kind of peak on peak, I guess, huh? Absolutely. Uh, I want us to be fresh at the end of the year, and I want us to be fresh for the bowl game. And if you're over there every night till midnight, you you can't be a good fa- as good a father. You can't be around your children. Um, and and this way, our our coaches can actually eat dinner with their families every night. And and we also allow our coaches ask our coaches bring your families to practice, bring your families to the office. Uh, I I want them around, and and that's really really important. And it's also another reason that it's it's really important for our coaches that I've asked them to treat their players like they would want their son or daughter to be treated. Um, I don't want our players cussed. I don't want them grabbed. And some people say that's soft. I think it's respectful. At Carolina the first time, at Texas, and what looks to be, again, in your second stint at Chapel Hill, you've been a change agent in taking a program, maybe not at their high point in their history, and turning them around. Well, what's your key to changing the mindset, the culture, alumni relations, talent level, what have you, when you take over at that point in a program's history? Number one, Scott, you have to believe that that it, it's going to change. You have to believe you can be really good there, and you have to believe you can win all the games. And And you've got to have a philosophy like we talked about earlier. I'm fortunate that our philosophy has worked. Uh, so it's easy for the players and the fans and the administration to buy in when you first get there. And I've tweaked it every year. Uh, so it, it's, I think it's better now than it's ever been because of all the learning experiences that I've had through the years. And then the, the second thing is you, you need to be a fit at the place you're going to. You, Coach Royal also told me when, when I took the job at Texas, I said, what do you have to do to win, Coach? He said, you need to like the place. He said, you need to like the state. And if you don't like it, act like you do, because they do. And, and I, I think that's really important. It's hard to sell a place unless you believe it's a, a great place for young people to come. And, and I've been lucky that uh, I've had great jobs. I've had great places to live and, and really top academic schools. So it's been easy easy sell and and then uh you need to figure out the the type uh staff that fits not only for recruiting but fits your place and fits your philosophy and then lastly you you need to have the the guys that fit um because i think all those are very very important but scott uh, in my earlier years people would say how many games do you think you're going to win and i thought all of them and, and we weren't even very good some of those years. And they said, how do you think you'd won all of them when you won four last year? Or you won one last year. And I said, that, why, how can I possibly go into a season trying to convince these young guys that they can win every game if I don't think we can? So I've got to think we can win every game. And, and we may not be better than the team we're playing, but you've just got to be better than them two and a half hours on that one day. So they, they, I used to tell our guys, they, they better all come ready to play. Because if they don't come in here ready to play, this is our day. Maybe we're not as good as they are, but we can be as good as they are today. And, um, and, and that's just the, the way we've taken it. We, we've, uh, we've challenged our fans and our administration to step up every place we go. Uh, first thing we said when we got here, the crowds hadn't been good the last couple of years. I said, we, we, we need you in the stands. People that are recruiting against us are saying, you're not coming, so buy your tickets. And we were one of seven universities last year that, that sold out every game. 
because they were excited. And, and I told the fans, you have made a difference for us. You've really helped us. We, we told our athletics director, Bubba Cunningham, we need some changes. The building's tired. It, it, it's old. It, it needs a smile. It needs a hug. Um, so we, we put in a new weight room. Um, we, we finished the indoor area that's as nice as any in the country. We, we were able to refurbish the building and put turf in the, in the stadium. Um, so we were, we were able to show the players, um, immediate improvements, not only promise them, but show them. And then probably the most important thing we do, Scott, that, that has worked this time as well. We go into the players when we get there and say, why are you losing? What's wrong? What do you need? And and we actually ask them, uh, tell us, tell us now. Uh, coach, the food's not good. What's wrong with it? And then uh, Sally and I, my wife Sally and I, ate on the training table every day we were in Chapel Hill. And if we thought some of the food wasn't good or unacceptable, we would bring the manager out and say, I, I wouldn't eat this, and here's why. Change it now. And and the players appreciated that. They they didn't go into their players' lounge. And they had a really nice player's lounge. I said, why don't you come in this building? Why don't you use it? Said, There's nothing in there we like. I said, here, what do you want? What do you like? Well, coach, we want two papa shots. And these are, there's just one in there and it's a little bitty. It's old. I said, okay, get on, on online. Show me what you want and we'll get them. Coach, we want these video games instead of the ones I've got in. Great. That we'll get them. And then we got them immediately. And and we redid that room. The the couches were old and hard. And they they like to sleep on them between classes and and sometime before practice when they can take a nap. They can't go back to their rooms. Um, and and then when they they saw that we cared enough to ask, and then that we followed up and actually gave them what they needed immediately, or what they wanted immediately, um, then it it just it works better because they they buy in. It goes back to our communication level, trust and respect, and and common purpose. And the last thing that that uh, we did is we have a leadership committee of about twenty guys, and they don't make decisions for us, Scott, but they they are involved in in all the major decisions that we have. I'm going to ask them, and some things like what we wear for games, they decide. But but I'm going to ask them: You want to go to a movie on Friday night before the game, or you want to stay in your room and watch TV? Um, do, do you, here, here's a, a disciplinary action. Um, here, here's what I'm thinking. Tell me what you're thinking. Uh, so we, we really involve our players in, in all of our decisions. I make the final decision, but I want them to have the same say that the coaches have. Coach, uh, Carolina, we all know is a big basketball school, but in your first time there, you pushed the football program into the top 10 for the first time ever in your last two years there, which led to a, a call from Austin, maybe the bluest of the blue bloods in college football. Uh, what was it like being the head coach at the University of Texas? Well, it was so different, Scott. I was the head coach at Appalachian State, the head coach at Tulane, and the head coach at North Carolina. So I had a lot of experience. I guess 14 years as, as a head coach before I went to Texas, and it still wasn't enough. It's just overwhelming. You've got 27 million people in the state. And again, I, I refer to Coach Royal a lot because he was so important in my life. And and um, um, when I, I asked Coach Royal, why should I go? Why should I leave North Carolina to go to Texas? And he said, well, 27 million people are going to care about what you do every minute of every day. 
And I said, so why is it so hard that Texas football has not been consistently good through the years? What, what makes the job so hard, Coach? And he said, 27 million people care about what you do every day of your life. And, and there's always somebody that's mad about it. They're <laughs> mad about something. And, and then you're not a local program. You're not just a statewide program. You're a national program. So I would see, Scott, I would say things at North Carolina, and people would laugh, and it's funny, and it's kind of cute. If I messed it up, they didn't care. They'd move on to something else. Oh, my gosh, everything I said at Texas was so scrutinized that you, you had to be so careful that if you're not careful, you get you get so you're about half paranoid because every time you say something, somebody's going to take it and make it negative. Um, so you have to be really, really careful there that you don't start um, being so much coach speak and so careful uh, because it's it's so visible that it also affects your recruiting. And at the same time, you've got some of the best high school football in the country. And, and the good thing is there were an average of 375 prospects that signed Division 1A football scholarships every year that I was there. The bad thing is you can only take 25 of them. <laughs> So you've got to do a great job of evaluating and then even a better job with public relations with the high school coaches because you're going to play against all those guys and you're going to miss on some great players because there's probably a hundred you wanted to take. Uh, and those great players are going to hate you when they come back to Austin to play. So if we're talking numbers, it sounds like 375 quality recruits, 25 roster spots and 27 million recruiting analysts in the state of Texas every year. Absolutely. And 27 million offensive coordinators. <laughs> so there's a, there's a lot of coaches in that state. Uh, since we're playing by the numbers here, there's also one Matthew McConaughey, who is an Austin native and a Texas alum. And I know uh, from our previous conversations that you struck up a close friendship with Matthew. Any funny tale or two about him in Texas football from your time there that you're able to share on a podcast? Well, as, as you and I have shared in the past, a lot of them I can't share, but uh, Matthew's a dear friend, and he and I and a country singer named Jack Ingram from Texas actually have a charity together that we've had for seven years. It's Mac, Jack, and McConaughey, and it's raised a lot of money for, for uh, kids to empower kids. Uh, it's saved some lives. It's helped lives. It's, um, it, it's, it's, it's just been really heartwarming. Uh, and I appreciate Jack and Matthew so much. But uh, my first game at, at Texas, Scott, we we beat New Mexico State, but it was like 55 to 35 or something. And everybody thought we put a lot of subs in. We didn't. We couldn't stop anybody. We're just so bad on defense. So uh, the second game we play is against UCLA, and it's out in, in uh, L.A. in Pasadena at the Rose Bowl. And uh, I remember Gary Danielson asked me before the game, Texas got beat 66 to three the year before by UCLA. And it, they were the number one team in the country. And before the game, Gary Danielson says, can you possibly lose 66 to three? And I said, no, there's absolutely no way we can lose 66 to three. So at halftime, it's 35 to three. And Gary comes back over and says, doing the math. I said, don't go there, Gary. So we ended up losing, uh, I think it was 49 to 31. We fought ourselves back in it. We, we got it to 41 to 31 and, and had a chance, but, but at least we came back. So we're one and two at Texas, and, and that's not very good. Somebody told me when you, you lose a game at Texas, um, 
it's hard to find pallbearers to bury you because they're going to kill you <laughs> if you lose another one. And then when we lost a second game at Texas out of my first three, they said, forget the pallbearers. Um, we, we need to go a different route because you're not going to have anybody uh, to come. They're just going to spread your ashes, my man. So then we, we play Kansas State that third week and we get beaten. And, and Bill Snyder's got a great team at Kansas State, and they beat us like 43 uh, to 7 or something like that. And, and so we're one and two at Texas. And I come back, and we're getting ready to play Rice. And like many of us, I remember watching the movie A Time to Kill, and it was Matthew McConaughey. Mm-hmm. And I said to Bill Little, who is the longtime sports information director at Texas, you know Matthew McConaughey? And he said, yes, sir. I said, this is a time to kill Rice. We've got no choice. We have to win this game. And Ken Hatfield was the coach, and they were pretty good. And and we had just been beaten down physically twice in a row. We were tired. And I said, go ask Matthew to come and talk to our team. So it's the first time I'd met Matthew McConaughey. He comes out, and as Matthew would, he's got a Texas T-shirt on. Probably the sleeves were cut off. And, and I said, will you just talk to the team a little bit about a time to kill? I think Matthew spent about an hour preaching Mm -hmm. to our team about uh, the lighting guys have to work with the sound guys and the sound guys have to work with the production guys. And and it is a time to kill and you got to kill rice. (laughs) And and then he had them chanting and he had them singing and and it, it was a, it was a whole lot of fun. So we progressed to the national championship game and it's picture day, the, the day before the game or a couple of days before the game, so Matthew shows up for picture day and he comes out and, and uh, he and Will Farrell did one of the funniest little skits before the game I've ever seen in my life. People should really go back and pull it up just about being a longhorn and, and being a Trojan. And, and all of a sudden we're sitting there and, and I get up in the middle of the, the photo shoot and I said, Matthew, come here and sit in the middle. Kids love you. I want you in the middle of the photo shoot. So he, I get out, he sits there, he gets the whole team singing, they don't think so. I know so. They don't think so. I know so. And and he also told the team at the first of the year, when we won the national championship, uh, your goal should be to win the Big Championship. Your dream should be to win the national championship. So as soon as the season was over, I had him come back in and he said, "Hey, got your goal. Congratulations. You are the Big Twelve champs. Now your dream." Man, it's your dream. You got to get your dream. And he's so passionate that, that the kids just 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 love him. And, and, and he was in the dressing room after the national championship game. And I said, Matthew, is this like an Academy Award? And he said, no, man, it's a lot better than this. You're the best. You're the only one. You are the best team in America. And then the last one, I'll say, Scott, we're in the Fiesta Bowl. We're playing Ohio State. It is a great game. We're right down to the end. And... Uh, Casey stuttered, big offensive lineman comes to me and says, coach, you got to get Matthew off of us. He, he's down here yelling at us and, and cussing us because we're not blocking well enough. So, so I have to go down and get Matthew and say, come on, man, let's back off a little bit here. Take a deep breath. Uh, cause he was on the sideline, but, but he's passionate. He loves life. He loves people. And, and he wants to be really, really good at, at whatever he does. And, and he and I are still very close to this day. Those are some great stories. Thank you for sharing those. Uh, and you mentioned the national championship that that you won down in Austin. 
Uh, and maybe even that year that we just talked about, the Fiesta Bowl, arguably perhaps had the best team in the country again that year in 2008-2009 when you brought the team here to play Ohio State uh, in the Fiesta Bowl. In your memory bank, Mac, what can we draw out as kind of stood out most from that Fiesta Bowl trip in 2009? Scott, I learned a, a, a really good lesson uh, through that whole year. We beat number one Oklahoma. We were number five, I think, at uh, – uh, in, in the Cotton Bowl at midseason. And then we played four top 10 teams in a row, maybe maybe top 15 for one of them. Um, and, and we go down to the end at Tech, and we lose with three seconds left, and we're the number one team in the country. And then we lose a tiebreaker to Oklahoma because we had beaten Oklahoma, but Oklahoma had beaten Tech, and Tech had beaten us to see who goes to the conference championship game. And... And the uh, the tiebreaker went to Oklahoma because they were hundreds of a point or something ahead of us in the ratings, and uh, and and it lost a chance for Colt McCoy to be the Heisman Trophy winner. It it lost us a chance to be the the conference champ, and therefore we'd already beat Missouri badly, and Oklahoma was going to play Missouri for the conference championship. And it cost us a chance to play for another national championship. So we were all really disappointed. And then luckily, we got the call from the Fiesta Bowl to, to play Ohio State. Um, but Al Groh was, was the head coach at Virginia. They weren't going to a bowl. Al said, can I come out and watch you all practice? And I said, yeah, come on out, Al. And um, Ohio State with Jim Trestle had a great team, and we'd played them uh, in 05 and 06, and we'd split. In fact, we won at Columbus, and they won in Austin. So it, it was kind of the, the tiebreaker to, to play Ohio State. Well, Coach Groh watched uh, us practice for three or four days. And at the end of that practice, I, I said, what do you think, Al? And he said, well, you, well you've recruited well. I like the way your team looks. He said, but but you're you're going to lose to Ohio State. And I said, why? He said, you're still talking about the Oklahoma game. You're still talking about the, the Texas Tech loss. Uh, you're still talking about how, how, as a team, everybody's talking about you got screwed because you didn't get to go to the championship game with a tiebreaker. And he said, one thing I've learned about this business, Coach, is you better have an edge for every practice, and you better have an edge for every game. And right now, Ohio State's excited about beating Texas. You're not excited about beating Ohio, Ohio State or going to the festival. You don't even talk about it. So I called a staff meeting and a team meeting immediately, and he was so right. And I said, Let, let's let's get rid of Oklahoma. Let's get let's get rid of the Tech game. Let's get rid of this year. Uh, we've had a great year. We've lost one game with three seconds left. Uh, but but this team deserves to win against a great Ohio State team. This team needs to embrace that challenge and in, enjoy the Fiesta Bowl, and our fans enjoy the Fiesta Bowl. And and, and that three or four days that Al Grow there spent with us um, taught me so much because he is so right. And if you walk into a stadium on Saturday and you don't have an edge created for your team, shame on you, number one, as a head coach, because that message should be all week. Um, you're going to get beat. And And – I learned that that day from Al Groh, and then we end up uh, Colt McCoy hits Juan Cosby with 16 seconds left to, to win the game against Ohio State, 
we would not have won that game if Al Gro had not come and watched us practice and, and woke us up. You talked earlier about perspectives and where they come from and, and every voice is an important voice. And I think you just illustrated that with, with that uh, example there. Uh, as we as we look at the Fiesta Bowl itself in the week, what was it like when you you landed and you had the mariachis on the the tarmac in the week of practice, and then uh, the game itself? And I guess Quan you mentioned his performance right there, but he had two touchdowns, and everyone remembers Colt McCoy and his magical season. But but you had a receiver who pretty much stepped up and and had a big game for himself as well. Yes, that uh, the Fiesta Bowl was fun. They they made you feel welcome. They they made you they they made us. Uh, they, they really helped us create that edge and get rid of the fact that we weren't playing for the conference or national championship uh, just because the, the people of the Fiesta Bowl have always been so nice, so much fun, so giving. And, and you could tell when you got there, they wanted you to have a good time. That, that, that uh, the hospitality was unbelievable. So we, we had a fun week. Uh, Jim Tressel and I are very dear friends to this day. And I have great respect for Jim and, and all he accomplished in coaching. Um, and so we had a good week together. We had a fun week together. And usually when the coaching staffs respect each other, the teams do. Um, and, and I think that made that week so special. And then it was uh, a sellout or nearly a sellout. Uh, it was an unbelievable game uh, that came right down to the end. I think we even had to make a fourth down on that last drive, a fourth and four. Uh, to keep the drive alive, to go down and score. Um, and, and it was two of the best programs in the country that uh, competed at the highest level and, and had a lot of fun. We'll talk about bowls in general here for a, for a moment. How do you, from a coaching standpoint, utilize the bowl lead-up time frame, um, you know, and the benefits that you get from qualifying in a bowl game, you know, be it extra practices, could be reps to future players, a student athlete experience. Uh, I'll leave it open to you from there, Mac. Well, I, I think bowls are, are vital to the experience of, of college football teams. I remember Wake Forest one year when Jim Caldwell was there. They, they were 6-6, six and six and people were critical of them going to a bowl. They won their bowl game. They were 7-6, and six, had a winning season, and I've never seen a happier team. And, and uh, at that moment... I thought that this is this is why we have bowl games. And we had a young man at, at Texas one year that uh, went home before we went to our bowl game, and he came back, and Sally asked him, how was Christmas? And he said, oh, Miss Brown, we don't have Christmas. I said, what do you mean? We don't have any money. I, I, I take my gifts from here and give them to my brothers and sisters. Um, and then the kids have a wonderful experience. with the, They get to go to great places, there's tremendous hospitality, there's gifts, there's um, opportunities for them to see places they haven't been. They get to play a team they're not used to playing, um, and it and it's fun. They, they get to spend more time with their team, and, and that's the fitting way to end um, each year as a team because that team will never be together again, uh, that same team, because the seniors leave. Um, and, and it gives you fun time with those seniors at, at the end. From a coaching standpoint, it, it helps recruiting, uh, but it also really helps the, the fact that, that you get to practice extra. So it's like a, an extra spring practice. It's usually about 13 practices. And what we learn to do 
And we actually learned it by, again, by asking Bobby Bowden and asking um, the, the people across the country uh, that, that were winning all the bowl games. Barry Alvarez, that was the two we, we went to visit with, and there were some others, but those two had won all their bowl games. And we said, what do you do? And they said, we, we are really physical and really hard at home. It's, it's like a, a, a spring practice. It's like a preseason practice, especially with your young ones. And then when you get to the bowl sites, you're on your feet so much and, and you're walking around all the different places, uh, we back off. So we, we have really light practices at the bowl, so they'll be fresh for the game. And, uh, and, and it's really helped us in, in bowls since that time. So we just talked about the coaching standpoint. How about from the student-athlete standpoint? Why is the, the bowl experience so important for student-athletes compared to a regular season game? You know, it, it's just different from a regular season game or even a conference championship game. Yeah, you get to spend a, a lot of extra practice time for them, which they like, the young ones like, because they get to prove themselves and, and have a better spot for them in spring practice. They get to spend more time together, uh, especially when they're um, – at a location they've never been before, like uh, the Fiesta Bowl. That that was a fun trip for our guys that they remember for the rest of their lives. They, they get their bowl gifts. They get their rings. They get their watches. They get to show people those, and they're so proud of them for the rest of their lives. Um, but it's just the experience. that Those are experiences that a lot of people don't have in their lives, and it's a, it's a reward for guys who have accomplished something during the season. So it, it's really a way to say thank you. So after your coaching time at Texas, you have a few years at ESPN, some in the booth where you gave your great analysis and some in the studio. Then you decided to go back to coaching. Um, What does Mac Brown 2020 look like compared to UNC 1.0 and Texas Mac Brown? I learned so many things by stepping away. I learned that I miss the kids. I learned that I I miss being a mentor for the kids. When they put us in the Hall of Fame, Scott, we we went back to Tulane. We went back to Appalachian. We went back to Texas. And and we came to North Carolina to to meet with ex-players. And we had a great time at North Carolina with all those guys. And um, as we were walking out that night, Sally said, I I, I see a smile on your face. This is what you do. You mentor kids. So if the right place came open again where we wanted to live. Uh, I think you should really look at at going back because I haven't seen you this happy since you left coaching. So uh, we really like uh, and respect Larry Fedora. He was the coach here. Um, So obviously we didn't think this would be open and, and, and didn't want it to be open because we wanted Larry to be successful. Um, And we had turned down some different jobs through our, our five years at ESPN just because none of them really fit, we've got to make sure. I I know, in some cases, better than a lot of the administrators where I would fit. And if I didn't think I was the right fit for them, I would tell them that that's not that's not my deal. I don't need to be your coach. When this one came open and Bubba Cunningham called and said, "Will you be our coach?" I was actually on the set of Who's In at ESPN and just walked off and saw Bubba's call. And I said, what happened to Larry? And he said, we made a change. And I said, Bubba, at my age, I'm not going to start interviewing for jobs. And he said, we don't want you to interview. We want you to take the job. So I called Sally. She was in Austin. And 
I said, sweetie, you, she had actually laughed and said after we left here, I said, well, where could we coach? She said, Hawaii, but she was kidding. She said, are you Bahamas. sure she was kidding there, Max? She, she probably wasn't, but, but I thought she was. Um, and then she said the Bahamas, I said, they don't have football. She said, we'll start a team. We'll call it the Bahama Iguanas. Or she said, Chapel Hill. I love Chapel Hill. So if that one ever came open, you ought to look at it. So when Bubba called, I called her and said, okay, you said Hawaii. You said the Bahamas. You said Chapel Hill. Bubba just called me and offered me the Chapel Hill job. What do you think? And and then about after a, a short pause, she said, you know, let's do this thing. So it, it was uh, something that we wanted to do. I promised her that I wouldn't take losses as hard. Uh, that's the only lie that I had because I still, I still can't handle losses very well, but I'm trying to learn from them because my job is to make the players grow from a loss and learn from the loss, figure out why we lost and what we need to do to keep from losing again, instead of me pouting like a a two-year-old and, and being mad at myself and everybody else for, for not getting the game where we needed to be to, to win the game on Saturday. So, um, other than that, I've, I've, I've really missed uh, the, the spring because the players weren't around as, as much this spring. But um, it, it's about the players. And, and that's, I think, the biggest thing, Scott. I know better now what the, to, to see it through the media's eyes for five years with ESPN and ABC. I know better now what the media needs and how hard their job is so I can help them. Um, I'm, I'm not uh, I'm not back in coaching to have to win a national championship or have to win every game or, or make a lot of money or uh, I'm I'm back in it to help players and, and young coaches and help them move forward and that's why I got into it in the first place. So um, when Coach Royal quit coaching at 52 years old at Texas, uh, I, I've I'd been there 10 years or so, and I said, Coach, why did you quit? And he said, I quit because uh, the losses became devastating to me and the wins were relief. I had no joy. And I kind of felt that way at the end at Texas. We were 25 and two. We lost to Texas Tech and we lost to Alabama in the national championship game when Colt McCoy got hurt. And I was mad at me and that team at 25 and two. So as I look back, I'm, I'm going to make sure that I enjoy every win. I, I try to enjoy every day and, and I'm going to do the best job of helping young coaches get the experiences that I've had and help, help our, our players get more prepared for life after and, and, and go back to, to the true meaning of our philosophy. Well, what's been your secret sauce there, Mac? I mean, in, in terms of recruiting and you've brought some of the best in the country who play football to Chapel Hill, not just basketball. I think Scott, the, the a number of things you you've got to have a good place to recruit to. Uh, the University of North Carolina is one of the better academic schools in the country. A lot of people call us a public ivy. It's it's really hard to get in, and people are proud of of this school academically. Uh, secondly, um, we use basketball. We we use our location. It's a, Chapel Hill is a great place. It's a fun place. But we've got a recruiting footprint with a lot of really good football players from D.C. to Atlanta. And the state of North Carolina has a lot of players. So uh, the other thing that that I feel I did a great job of was uh, hiring a staff that's familiar with this state. 
they can recruit this footprint. And if you go back and look at our coaches, most of them, maybe eight out of the, the 10 have recruited in this area most of their lives and some up to 15 years. So they were very, very familiar with the, the, the place, uh, not only our place, but, but also the, the state, the footprint. I said I didn't want to hire anybody that couldn't find their way from Chapel Hill to Wilmington without a map. Um, I want them to be around and, and be part of it. And then I do think, Scott, it really helped that uh, Sally and I have been so familiar uh, with, with this state for many years. It helped that we worked here before. A lot of the high school coaches are still coaching or their sons are or their assistants are. Uh, so it was a real easy uh, move to move back into recruiting the high schools in this state. Uh, even the vice president at the university uh, was one of my trainers or, or one of our managers. He actually carried my cord when we were here before mm -hmm. in, in the uh, late 80s. Our chancellor worked with me on, as, as a uh, in the medical field, in, in research for concussions, um, for protocol many, many years ago, like starting in 94. Um, so most of the people here I know, there's seven guys on our staff that played for me, and five of those seven played in the NFL. So uh, I, I think that's what's made it such an easy transition coming back in. And we sell a 40-year decision, not a four. And when you've got seven guys on your staff that played for you, it's easy to talk to people about them being around for the 40 years. Mac, what's the biggest challenge for college football as a whole right now? Scott, I think the, the college football's healthy. Um, but we've got to make sure that we, we do our best to keep people in the stands. The TV games are so good, and there's so many of them. It's easier for, for students to stay at home. It's easier for people to stay at home. And, and crowds are, are dropping across the country. So I, I think it's really, really important, uh, number one, that we, we, we keep people coming for the pageantry of being around their university and, and tailgating and, and fun and, and have that collegiate experience. Secondly, I think we need a, a commissioner of college football. There's so many people that are going in different directions and doing what they want to do now. And I really wish we had just someone who would be visiting with, with the, the key players in college football. Um, and all he did was be the commissioner of, of the commissioners. And I think that would help us because we've got too much individualism right now. And especially as we're, we're looking at name, image, and likeness. We're looking at one-time transfer rules for the first time. We're, we're, we're looking at so many different things that are, that are vital um, that we rework them moving forward. And then if we did get that commissioner of college football, we could go back and, and relook at all of our NCAA rules and make sure that some aren't outdated and, and make sure that we could go back and, and, and try to cut the rule book down so we could understand it a little better. And, and I've always felt like we should, we should have a better way to catch the cheaters. We should make the rules where it's harder to cheat, have a better way to catch the cheaters and get them out of college football. If, if, if you cheat and you knowingly and willingly do it, then, then there should be consequences and there should be major consequences for them. 
Uh, and then I think we we constantly need to modernize the scholarship. We constantly need to look for what's best for the student athletes and their parents and, and try to help them. Um, their, their scholarship's better than ever right now, but try to make sure that as uh, we grow in, in, into the next phase of college football, that we're staying up. There was a time when I played, you got $15 a month for your, quote, laundry money. And then it didn't change until we went to price of attendance, uh, cost of attendance of a few years ago. We need to stay up and we need to make sure that we're doing everything within our power um, to, to make sure that we take care of our student athletes across the board. Mac, this is the last question we ask all of our guests on the Fiesta Bowl Football Focus podcast. And that would be, what is your favorite Fiesta Bowl uh, in our history going back to 1971? It could be your game that you coached in and won and stood on the stage holding that beautiful golden and diamond encrusted football, or it could be one that you enjoyed as a fan. Well, the the, the game that, that's most fun and, and most important to me is the one we won because I, I spent the week there. Uh, it was a great experience, and and I remember standing there holding that that beautiful goal football at the end of the game, and and all the smiles on the players' faces. The the game that was the biggest one for me previous to that was the Boise State Oklahoma game, because we were recruiting against Oklahoma and playing hard against Oklahoma, and when Chris Peterson and Boise uh, got behind at the end of the game, I went to bed, and. Then all of a sudden, my, my son calls me and wakes me up. What a game, man. What a game. And I, I said, what are you talking about? Um, I said, but Oklahoma's good. They came back and won again. And he said, no, no, no. Right at the end, you ought to see it. So I actually got up and went back in and, and turned on TV and watched the highlights. But um, but but what that, that was the first time, I think, for most of us as coaches, we had seen someone use two trick plays to, to win a game like that, and, and especially a huge upset. Um, and it told all of us, you better start working on some of those things. Well, Mac, I really enjoyed this conversation. I always uh, relish the opportunity to catch up with you in, in person. So thank you so much for your time and your insight and your, your stories as we went down memory lane. Well, Scott, thank you for having me on. And and to all of you people who have volunteered and, and worked so hard for so many years on the Fiesta Bowl, thank you for the many wonderful experiences you've given to all of us as, as coaches and players and staff members and families. And, and uh, to all you, you fans that support the, uh, the game each year, keep doing it, man, because we, we need uh, places like the Fiesta Bowl to continue to be special. 